try to have a mindful morning. So that means to set your intention for the day, how you want to feel. So pick your clothing based off of your intention, based off of your mood that you want to evoke or elicit. Welcome to Fashion Cast, the fashion industry's premier podcast where we explore all things fashion. From designers and the latest trends to sustainability and breaking fashion news, we keep you informed. Now, enjoy the show with your hosts, Michael Gloucester and me, Christine Tuckta. Welcome to the latest episode of Fashion Cast with the professor, psychologist, and pioneer of the fashion psychology field, Dr. Dawn Karen. She is the author of two books on fashion psychology, currently teaches fashion psychology at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, hosts Fashion Psychology TV, and is the founder of the Fashion Psychology Institute. Born and raised in Ohio, Dr. Karen earned a degree in psychology at Bowen Green State University and her graduate psychology degree from Columbia University. Dubbed the dress doctor by the New York Times, Dr. Karen has been interviewed by countless media outlets and appeared on numerous television, radio, and podcast shows. Dr. Karen is joining FashionCast from New York City via Skype. Welcome to FashionCast, Dr. Karen. Hi, thank you for having me. It's an honor to have you on our show. Thank you. It seems obvious today that personal dress may impact mood, mindset, and behavior. But when you began the fashion psychology field in 2010, it wasn't so obvious. As the founder of this important discipline, what is your definition of fashion psychology? Yeah, so I define, uh, formally define the fashion psychology field as the study and treatment of how color, image, style, shape, and, and beauty affects human behavior while addressing cultural norms and cultural sensitivities. So that's a mouthful, but that's the formal definition. The informal definition, it's all about styling from the inside out. Oh, yeah, I can remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Selling from the inside out. Yeah. Well, that's, but it took you a while to get there, did it not? And I know I don't want to do the spoiler alert because I think it's a very interesting story that is both on TEDx and in your book in terms of how you, you know, actually came to be or to actually find this particular discipline within psychology. You're really, your background's really psychology, is it not? Yeah, yeah. So I, I went to Columbia University Teachers College to train to be a traditional therapist, psychologist. Okay. And then this event took place. And then you eventually, as a way to cope with that, you started dressing differently or better or more on a upscale kind of, is that basically it? Yeah. So um, at the time at my university, the, uh, the culture of dress was hoodies, leggings, sweatpants. And so I in think it's order still for like that. that. <laughs> yeah, right? right? It's totally so it, it, hasn't, it hasn't changed. <laughs> um, in, order, in order for me to cope, I actually began, you know, um, dressing very upscale, wearing like, it was like a 1950s type of style. Um, at the time, it looked a bit I'm not going to say a bit. It looked very odd. <laughs> um, I remember classmates and professors like pointing me out and staring like, what is she going to wear today? Mm. So. so you really stood out. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Was yeah. it a little <laughs> a little June Cleaver? Are you telling me is that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but it's interesting because when you sit back and you say, okay, I'm going to merge psychology and fashion, these very different disciplines, you know, ultimately it's, it's more than just saying, okay, I'm doing this. There's got to be an end game. And, and essentially what, what is your objective? What is your mission? What is your long-term vision for those two disciplines as they come together and you work within that field? You should have, I think you would have some kind of understanding now or much better understanding than when you began because here we are like 11 years later, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, initially I was thinking like, you know, a, t- a television show and that I'm like, uh, uh, my advisors, um, they were like, you don't want to have like 15, what is it? 15 minutes of fame or 15 oh, seconds yeah. of fame. <laughs> so they're like, no. Um, so every year I've been offered a television show and actually have been declining them. So my end goal is to, um, make, uh, fashion psychology field a reputable science within, within, psychology discipline um, and also to knight or certify a fashion psychologist and fashion psychology enthusiast in several countries around the world. Um, that's my end goal. Uh, my, yeah, that's my end goal. <laughs> Can you please provide some examples of how you counsel your clients about fashion psychology? Yeah, so uh, how it works. Um, As you know, I'm trained traditionally to be a therapist, a psychologist, so I actually go through talk therapy. Um, They bring in their just everyday life issues. You know, it could be divorce, it could be um, a child custody case, um, any issue, new mom issue. So they bring in their issues traditionally. And the only difference here um, is I actually am looking at how they show up in the world. Um, so I remember going to my therapist at the time of this, this, um, incident that took place that inspired my field. And she didn't really notice, um, my, my attire, you know, when I would just wear the same outfit every session, um, because I just didn't want to talk about you know, what had occurred. So what I do is I look at how the person is presenting themselves to the world, how they themselves are coping with their clothing or not coping with their clothing. So that's essentially what I do. Um, I've done that. um, Actually, I was doing teletherapy before it was a thing. So that's video conferencing. That's the Zoom. That's what we're doing right now. Um, I was actually doing that 10 years ago or 11 years ago now. Wow, that's amazing. Did did you fire your therapist for not noticing that you had the same <laughs> outfit on every time? I mean, no. out the door. No way. That's crazy. No. Isn't that like psychology 101? Um, no, not not that people don't really care about fashion. Um, except us fashionistas. So, uh, no, I didn't fire them. They they're, they're good at their job, but this is where I came in. So. So, do you get that pushback like you know, what's the difference really between you, the psychologist? I mean, I understand what you're doing because it's, it's based on feelings versus a stylist, which is more of, geez, what should I wear for this occasion? Or, you know, how can I impress that kind of thing? Yeah. So the difference between a a fashion psychologist and a stylist, a stylist is looking at 
you know, external factors. Whereas the, uh, myself as a fashion psychologist, I look at internal factors. I look at your, your childhood, your past, how those things shape you um, and how you, again, present yourself to the world. Can you please explain the difference between mood illustration and mood enhancement? Yeah, so mood enhancement dress and mood illustration dress, these are two terms that I coined. um, And these were the terms that got me through um, the event that inspired the field. So uh, mood enhancement dress is dressing to optimize the mood. And I call that AKA dopamine dressing. due to the dopamine that's released in the brain, the chemical. Um, And then the other mood illustration dress is dressing to perpetuate your current mood. And I um, haven't told this to anyone yet. You're the first. I'm going to call that serotonin dressing. These are just AKA terms. Oh, I like that. Oh, yeah. I like Just um, It's catchy. And if you're not in the academic arena, like my students, you know, you can you can vibe with it. Dopamine dressing, serotonin dressing. Are you serotonin today, Christine? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's serotonin yeah. dressing. <laughs> I don't know what happened this morning, but I must have changed. I mean, I must have looked at four different suits before I decided which suit. And then I, then I realized, oh, my God, this is what's going on in dress your best life kind of thing where you can't make up your mind. And, yeah. and it was a feeling like, you know, yeah. the, it's kind of drab here. What do you do? Mm-hmm. do you, you don't want to be too loud. You, and I see a lot of clients and so forth. So, you, yeah, I'm very conscious of, of what you're describing here. In fact, there's quite a bit of in your book, Dress Your Life, Dress Your Best Life. Um, and there's also... A lot of books called like Live Your Best Life, but mm-hmm. I like Dress Your Best Life. Mm-hmm. It's a nice yeah. title. Yeah, that's a great Thank title. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And in fact, didn't this book, wasn't this released during COVID? Yes, it sure was. Um, obviously, I didn't know the <laughs> pandemic was going to be approaching. Uh, my publishers didn't know. I was actually scheduled um, because I am signed to Hachette book group that's in the U.S. and I'm assigned to Penguin Random House in the U.K. I was actually scheduled to do a book tour nationally and internationally and that went out the window. So, um, but I I would say um, I had to quickly pivot and the pandemic um, turned out to be the light at the end of the tunnel for me um, simply because people were stuck in one environment and they were wondering how do they kind of get out of this funk um and they were really conscious of their clothing some people didn't wear their their collection for a whole year some people were like hey i'm gonna pivot to athleisure or loungewear some people were like i'm gonna wear a house dress or i'm gonna dress up (laughs) you know um pajamas all day (laughs) or dress up and wear heels around the home so People began to look at clothing as a coping mechanism or to reevaluate their relationship with clothing because of the pandemic. So it turned out to be a blessing in disguise mm. uh, for me, I, I will say, and, and Dress Your Best Life, my book. So does that mean you sold more books or you Probably, picked up because more, more people or you had time to read? <laughs> did you pick up more <laughs> that, clients yeah. or yeah, or all of the above? Yeah. All yeah. of the above. Um, so I've so actually been timing. working. Yeah, I've been working. I remember just working jam packed between media interviews, clients, students, 
um, people who wanted to become, you know, fashion psychologists at my fashion psychology institute. So I was working around the clock and I still am, <laughs> believe it or not. So You know, that's a good question because, okay, so you're at FIT, you're a professor there, and yeah. I'm assuming they do not have a field for psychology. No. Uh, so they have social, the social sciences department and we have um, psychology. We also have sociology. Um, and so I teach color psychology there um, through another department, which is the non-credited side. It's like a continuing education department. I teach fashion psychology there, or I have taught fashion psychology there. So um, on the credit side, I teach color psychology and general psychology. So in my color psych class, uh, my students, they know that I'm a fashion psychologist, so they very much get the fashion psychology infused in there, obviously. Um, but yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about color, because color has such an impact on fashion in general. But, you know, in terms of men's fashion, I see that men just don't know how to cope with color. They don't know how to um, accessorize with color in particular. And there's some women that do that too, but they're better at it. So what do you talk to your clients about when you talk about color in general? Yeah. So I'll just give you an example. Um, this is not mentioned in the book. This was my client, um, that I had during the pandemic. Uh, she's a physician. Um, she works, she works with geriatric, um, patients and, a couple of them, or several of her patients, unfortunately, were dying because of the COVID. And on her days off, she was she was in her pajamas. Um, <laughs> but prior to the pandemic, we we did a color um, assessment, right? Uh, the chapter in Dress Your Best Life is colors and context. So we did an assessment to see what colors resonated. Generally, um, I do know psychologically this color means this, this colors means that, but to the individual based off of their life experiences, that color meaning may actually have a different effect psychologically. So for her, she actually hated the color. I mean, hated the color yellow. Her exact words <laughs> were the color makes her look washed out. That's um, how I feel. Ca <laughs> she's yeah. Caucasian by the way. So this was her exact <laughs> words. And she was really depressed during the pandemic, you know, um, you know, she had to, you know, go to work, but on her days off, she found herself in her pajamas days and days on, you know, on end. And, you know, I, we had a few sessions and we talked about it and I said, you know what, I'm going to have to write your prescription to wear the color yellow, you know? <laughs> and so she's like, she's like, all right, doc, whatever you want. I need to, I need to perform. I need to get out of this slump. So we mood enhancement dress. Um, and I told her, I'm not going to tell you what, you know, what style of yellow or what kind, any, you can do anything yellow. I don't care. You have to inject the color yellow into your wardrobe. So she wore a yellow facial mask um, and wow. she wore like a yellow shirt underneath. Mm -hmm. And her, her patients actually reported um, that they were happy when they saw her. And then oh. she actually felt happy as well. Oh. So yellow is a, is a mood boosting color. Mm -hmm. It's um, lighter colors are, um, can boost the mood. Um, can elicit positive emotions. So although, remember, she abhorred the color yellow was not her thing, but during the, during this, you know, such dire measures, it, it was proven better beneficial. In a better mood. So, that's brilliant. Yeah. Very interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Are you going to 
I'm going to write you a prescription, Kristen. Yeah. You are going to have to I wear I usually yellow. wear, yeah, dark colors or neutral <laughs> colors. That's, yeah. But this is, the, this is very similar. I mean, this is psychology. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. big time. Because, Great. for example, if someone's afraid to go on an elevator or afraid of fluorescent lighting or afraid to go on the plane, then the psychologist typically says, well, here's your prescription. You're going to Target <laughs> because there's fluorescent lighting. And yeah, perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's fun. Apparel companies have pushed fast fashion and incentivized shop till you drop behavior for decades. How do you address the practice of compulsive shopping in your teaching? So uh, when I'm teaching or even working with clients, I address compulsive shopping, a.k.a. retail therapy, um, um, by informing them that they're essentially probably trying to cover up something that they're not trying to deal with. So constantly stuffing their closet is essentially stuffing their feelings down. And what's going to happen, it's going to pop back up and perhaps extreme emotions or they'll be triggered and all the floodgates will just come rushing out or pouring pouring out. So um, more than likely nine times out of 10, what I find with clients and students is that they'll end up experiencing buyer's remorse. Um, It's like therapy for them, but then they end up regretting it. In Mm. the end, so Mm -hmm. it's it's better with clients and students to actually try to decipher with them, work through with them the reason why they're going out and buying. In the book, I actually talk about a client that actually actually goes to um, a popular store, H&M, and she's constantly buying things because she wants to look like the Instagram influencer girls or models. And she realizes that their body types are not similar to hers. So when she's looking in the mirror and after she's gone shopping and she's like, why don't I, I brought, I purchased the same item as the influencer models. Why don't I look like that? And it's essentially because she doesn't have the same body type. And so she's from a different culture as well. So we actually had to get to the root of um, what body type or what beauty standards were um, important to her and why. Um, and so we could adjust that. And so that she, when she goes out, she's not going out to sort of look like an influencer, but she's shopping for herself, if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it also seems like the fashion giants like H&M are more than happy to have people I shop know, over exactly. and over and over yeah. with That's some kind of want. a shopping mm-hmm. addiction. Mm-hmm. You could probably yeah. write a book all by itself just on shopping mm-hmm. addiction and all the kind of subcategories. Like I know mm-hmm. there's some people that maybe they don't shop it often, but they, they always come home with like the same item. It's like, you know, how many gray sweatshirts can you buy, man? You've got... <laughs> You know, and that's weird, too, to me. You know, you always gravitate to the same item. I mean, there's weird people do weird stuff, but it, it's more psychology, I think, yeah. than fashion. So do you have any feeling? Because, I mean, you really weren't in the fashion world. And then a lot of this fast fashion has happened over the last 20 years. And you mm-hmm. see what it can do, not only to the industry and the environment and all that, but really to the individual. I mean, it's so easy to go out and just buy a new wardrobe, buy a new wardrobe. It has to have some impact in terms of what you're seeing. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I, I used to work as a model. I also used to work as an accessory designer. So I've been in the industry in different forms. And just um, that's why, you know, when I wrote the book, uh, Dress Your Best Life, I really just honed in on minimalism, sustainability. Um, usually when someone hears the terms fashion psychologist, they're thinking Prada, Gucci, Louis Vuitton. <laughs> they're thinking excessive compulsive shopping. And I'm like, eh, no, not exactly. So um, I'm just into uh, evoking mindfulness um, into our mornings, right? So, you know, that being very intentional about, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you know, I want to feel this way. So I'm going to reach for said items or said colors or said fabrics. So um, it's just really just being very intentional about the, what we place on our body. This is the proverbial rabbit hole <laughs> because really, you I mean, you can talk about the, and we have the, like the Marcos uh, shoe fetish. You know, people have fetishes about things that they wear and it's, it's very interesting. So maybe that's your next book. Yeah. We'll have to split the royalties though. <laughs> maybe you can help write. Yeah. <laughs> but. So is it fair to suggest that certain fashion designers such as Christian Dior, Valentino, Alexander McQueen, which is one of my favorites, had a better understanding of the ultimate client's psychology or why they may buy their particular apparel? Do you think they were kind of deep into the, the customer's mind, you know, and instead of just this creative person who was overly talented, it seems like, and there's a lot of pressure on that side, you know, you can't just be creative, you got to sell this stuff. And of course, all their stuff sold. So they had to understand something, it seems to me, about the yeah. psychology, in, in particular, those three of women. Of the consumer, um, you know, what their everyday life was like, what issues that they faced. Um, now, I believe with fat, fast fashion, I don't, think they, I don't think they even care. <laughs> They're not even considering it, you know. <laughs> right. And Alexander McQueen, that line is, all of these lines are still available, obviously. And they have new designers mm -hmm. and so forth. And they've kept that same look. So I think that they are still trying to cater to the person who wants a certain look, maybe, and a certain yeah. style. And then even, I think you could even go down this line with the psychology of wearing a certain brand or label too, how that makes someone feel. Yeah, what, what feelings um, that that particular brand, that high-end brand, what that evokes, like perhaps Chanel with the classic look, the, it's almost like a legacy, mm. um, if you will. Mm. You know, the, your grandmother could have the Chanel bag, your mother, you... You know, so it's a, it's a, this classic timeless. sophistication. Yeah. yeah, timeless. Yeah, yeah. And you sort of embody the brand that you place on your body. Right. So, I think, isn't, yeah, isn't that why some of the, like the Real Real and Poshmark have probably done so well? Because mm -hmm. now anybody can actually buy this stuff, even if it's used. And then you can look the same way that, that some yeah. of these other more affluent folks look. Hi, I'm Christine. You may know me as co-host of Fashion Cast, but I'm also the founder and CEO of Ome Organics. 
I believe skincare should be simple. Our hyaluronic cream is all you need to nourish your skin morning and night. Sourced from the highest quality organic ingredients from around the world and manufactured in an FDA facility right here in the USA, this incredible cream works to firm, deeply moisturize, and smooth the appearance of your skin. Please visit omeorganics.com and use promo code FASHIONCAST to receive a 15% discount off your first purchase and you will receive our monthly newsletter free. Now, back to the show. Diverse cultures around the world naturally dress differently, but some cultures require or expect the citizens to dress in the same manner without individuality or expression. In this context, isn't fashion being used as a form of oppression or obedience? This is a great question um, and very rare in interviews that uh, people ask me um, this in depth of, of a question when it comes to culture. Um, I, so I lived out in the Middle East. I lived particularly in Kuwait for some wow. time. And um, I had a just a newfound, just whole different perspective on um, what over here in the West, what we would deem as being oppressive. Um, and so I actually found that the women who had to wear the habayas and the hijab and essentially to the West, we would think, oh, they're all dressed alike. I actually found that um, it was more of a collectivistic approach, um, like we're all in similar to hashtag we're all in this together. Ooh, we did that in the pandemic, uh -huh. but that's just pervasive throughout their entire culture. Um, and I, I didn't find that it was um, at all. Um, actually, when I did see the women um, outside of their hijabs and habayas, they actually had more fashion than I could. Than I <laughs> That's, true. That's true. My life. They love they're, it they're, even more. Oh my, so, oh yeah. my God. Their closets were the size of my entire apartment. Um, so yep. They were definitely not oppressed. Um, and and I, I had clients there who are struggling with, you know, balancing you know, being true to their culture, but then also wanting to adhere to some of the Western fashion norms. Um, how do you um, like strike that balance, right? Without losing yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this whole notion of oppression, I would actually, um, I don't really think it's oppressed. Um, I've, I've been in Iran. I've been in Iran where I actually had to cover. In Kuwait, I didn't cover. Um, I did... Um, I covered my shoulders and my all all the way up into my ankles. In Iran, that was in Kuwait. In Iran, I actually had to cover. Um, and the women actually, when I was going through the airport and I got through the checkpoint, they snatched off my uh, hijab and they said, "You're free now. Go be <laughs> oh. free." And I remember, like, no, I, no, I, I like this. Um, so <laughs> it's a nice break. Actually, yeah, it was nice to <laughs> just cover. Yeah. yeah, and I actually found that I was using more of my body language to express mm, um, as opposed to my fashion. And um, the women just thought I felt oppressed because I'm from the West. And I'm like, no, this is actually great for me. This gave me a break. Um, and so... And I met a young lady who actually was arrested from showing her neck, mm. a, a portion of her neck. Where um, was that? And so that was actually in Iran. Mm. I was in Shidas, Iran. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so it, it, it's what a, brought you there 
to the Middle East? Yeah, well, I was uh, the first in Kuwait. Um, I had some clients out there. Um, my second time for Iran, it was an accident. I was on the infamous Boeing 737 before they <laughs> before they grounded, before they banded or grounded, oh. I suppose. Um, and so my plane lost fuel and we had to, I was leaving from Dubai and we had to do an emergency landing in Iran. Best time of my life. Wow. Best time of my life. Wow. I have no passport stamps to prove it because <laughs> of Iran. Iran is sanctioned by uh-huh. the U.S., but a best time of my life. Best time of my life. Yeah. Wow. There's a, what a interesting story. That's a Dr. Karen secret for. <laughs> the, there's another book, man. The Iranian. <laughs> right? uh, my yeah, Iran yeah. trip. I keep thinking about the other, like the political oppression, like the communist countries and where people, it's, it's, they're, they're really looked down upon if they dress, you know, if they don't have their gray little, you know, suit on or something. I, so I agree with you in terms of what you're saying for those particular cultures. I'm just trying to think through the obedience piece in terms of how it would be taken, you know, by, by some of the communist countries. Yeah, yeah. I, I just know that they push more for the collectivistic yeah. portion as mm-hmm. opposed to us with the individualistic side mm-hmm. of things. That's true. So kind of ducktail into the, you know, how people are dressing. And we had talked a little bit earlier about the casual fashion, especially here, you know, because of COVID. But you were basically saying if you go back and look at casual Fridays, in the U.S., I mean, this goes back to the mid '60s, you know. Yeah. And there's a there's a number of companies that want to lay claim to this, including Hewlett Packard when they started their Aloha Fridays, and you could wear like your Hawaiian shirt to work and that <laughs> kind of thing. I know that Dupont also, you know, lays claim to Casual Fridays more in the '90s, but it's and I remember this because, you know, a number of these small little um, companies that apparel manufacturers or some of the men's shops that were just local, um, it really hurt them. You don't think about it, but 20% of the business is gone and then people don't have a reason to come back, et cetera. So now it's become, you know, casual every day after COVID. Mm -hmm. And then it's become like, like way too casual, Mm -hmm. like way, way too casual for, for a lot of people. But what are your thoughts about that? How do, you, how do you get away from that? How do you take someone seriously in a real business meeting? Um, and I, I can't even, I mean, you're dressed to the nines and you're like at home in your bedroom, right? And <laughs> it's like, no, no, you're, you're dressed great. So, you know, someone's sitting across me in a t-shirt, you know, kind of scrubbed out and you, you've got a million dollar deal going on or something. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's just a generational thing. But have you thought about that? Yeah, I've actually thought about it um, just because um, here on Wall Street, they were, it was this whole thing where it's like death of the business suit. And, you know, I was being, you know, asked, like, should we do away with the business suit and what are the ramifications? And so um, I was like, okay, yeah, but certain persons of certain cultures or certain minority groups you know, I don't know if they can necessarily get away with wearing a hoodie similar to, um, you know, the Silicon Valley guys. Right. So thinks Silicon Valley chic. So a woman and or a person of color 
may not be able to get away with wearing a t-shirt and a hoodie you know, to a corporate meeting and be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a real thing. You know, someone sitting across from her or the person of color, they they may deem them to be incompetent. So I'm I do think it's a generational thing. I do know that with a pre-pandemic, they were doing this whole death of the business suit and everyone was going to go Silicon Valley chic. But now with the pandemic and the introduction of loungewear, athleisure, um, even like just high-end designers start getting into the athleisure um, trend. So, and I don't really see it going away. Um, and, you know, whether we're getting dressed from the waist up from Zoom calls or we have to go back into the offices, a hybrid version, um, people will still be wearing the loungewear. So uh, I think it's here to stay. And I think we will have to contend with, you know, people in loungewear are competent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> deal with it. Well, weren't you, t you were teaching in your loungewear with your leopard prints though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something to dress it up. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty cool. That was chic. Yeah. 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 I did the whole uh, what le leopard heels and like a leopard coat or something, but I was in sweats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what made you want to wear pink on the cover of your book? What made you choose pink? Yeah. So pink, Um, it's a feminine color to yeah. me. I feel like it's uh, the suit gave me that boss uh -huh. feel Um, as a as a, a pioneer, um, as a woman of color, as a a young person, I get a lot of flack um, from people. They're like, who do you think you are? You're saying <laughs> you're pioneer this field. So I needed something that made me feel really like mm. a boss. I would say like- You a, do look like a female. boss in this photo. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, funny. Like it's an, funny because I chose pink too for my photo when I launched my yeah. product. I just, yeah. I just wanted, yeah, pink. It's nice. Yeah. You still want that yeah. femininity. Yes, and then with exactly. the student gives me that, you know, that alpha female, you know, so like I can do anything. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was that's what I was going for. Yeah, it's really nice, really elegant. Thank you. <laughs> alpha female. There's a good term, yeah. Well yeah, you guys alpha you female. both look boss today even. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever you guys need, I can take care of for you. But, <laughs> But yeah, I, you know, my motto is if in doubt, just overdress, yeah. you know, because I've been in a position yeah. where somebody, oh, it's business casual. And then you show up and it's like everyone's, oh, didn't you get the memo? It's not, we, we changed it. And you're like, oh my yeah. God, I, I got to leave early, you know? But, yeah. And like business casual is relative, right? Like it's on a spectrum, you yeah. know, <laughs> mm -hmm. depending on where you are. People don't know what business casual is. They may be too casual or too business. Exactly. <laughs> Better to overdress. Right. <laughs> so I do want to ask you this this particular question because it seems like it's in a relatively short time, but it's been ten years, which is seems like a long time probably for you. But you've carved out yeah. this really cool niche, you know, mm -hmm. fashion psychology, the research, the study. It's it's for real, and mm -hmm. you're you know a real life professor at a real life <laughs> top fashion school in, in the world, actually. With their yes, ratings recently. Yep. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. That's unbelievable, yeah. At FIT. We just love, love, love FIT. Mm -hmm. Therefore, yes. if you can give only one fashion psychology suggestion, you're being very, very limited here, right? <laughs> Don't you hate these questions? <laughs> yes. That's you're being question. challenged. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. What would it be? You only get one answer to. Oh, oh my One suggestion. Goodness. This is so difficult. All right. One, just one. Try to have a mindful morning. So that means to 
set your intention for the day, how you want to feel. So pick your clothing based off of your intention, based off of your mood that you want to evoke or elicit. I think that's one. I hope that's one. That's a grand <laughs> slam. Grand yeah, slam. Yeah, that is perfect. Perfect. That wow. Good answer. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was real hard. I can tell you. <laughs> what three seconds? <laughs> Doctor Don Karen, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for appearing on Fashion Cast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at fashioncastpodcast.com.